This is the PKD Black Box, episode 13. This episode of the PKD Black Box is brought to you by MyDigitalComics.com. At MyDigitalComics.com, you can download digital versions of comics such as PKD Media Presents Volume 1, Mercury and the Murder, the Collected Edition, and Wasted Wonderland, along with an assortment of independent and up-and-coming publishers at reasonable prices. Your downloaded comics are non-DRM and transferable to any computer device you have handy. Look for more titles and publishers to arrive as time goes along. Prices start as low as 99 cents. That's MyDigitalComics.com. Welcome back to the PKD Black Box. I'm your host, Sean Pryor, a.k.a. Stan Leroy. Once again, Ian Levenstein of the Comic Timing Podcast comes back onto the show as uh, he and I complete our guilty pleasure pop culture treatment on this episode of the Black Box. And before we get started with that, as always, I got a couple of things I want to talk to you about. It looks like Monopoly has come across a revolution edition. Uh, the board game Monopoly um, has come out with a new design for the 75th anniversary edition of their classic board game. I stumbled across an article about this on the Yahoo Finance site. This article is written by Lindsay Robertson, and I'll actually read some, some of the article out here to you. Um, it says right here, Hasbro has unveiled the design of the new 75th anniversary edition of the classic board game Monopoly, set to hit stores in fall of 2010. Monopoly Revolution Edition is slick and round instead of, instead of dull and square, with debit cards and an ATM instead of paper money and a banker, clear plastic representations of the classic tokens, bye-bye little boot, and clips of popular songs like Rihanna's Umbrella, Daniel Powder's Bad Day, and Beyonce's Crazy in Love that play after certain actions. This is not the first game to get a modern reboot. There's an update to the classic Trivial Pursuit, and Scrabble got a facelift for its 60th anniversary. But Monopoly's changes will undoubtedly appeal to 21st century techie youngsters. For one thing, the adjusted for inflation prizes are more impressive. Players can collect $2 million for passing go instead of a mere 200 practically what the average kid gets for losing a tooth these, these days. But it's bound to annoy diehard fans of the comforting classic version who might send it directly to jail come next fall. At least they can take comfort in the fact that Monopoly Revolution contains the classic Atlantic City-based street system. So far, the Internet Echo Chamber's biggest criticism focus on the new version's tight security. It seems that when it comes to Monopoly, half the fun comes from cheating by stealing from the till when nobody's looking. A loophole the new version closes with its fancy electronic banking. However, an electronic banking version has actually been on the market for years. Surely our nation's tech-savvy youth will somehow find a way to game the Monopoly system, assuming they can be pried away from screens long enough to start a game. I like the look of the new board. It's very, you know, it's just round. It's slick. I do like that. Um, as far as the electronic banking thing goes, I'm one of those old school cats where playing with, you know, with my relatives back in the day or playing with friends, you know, we would all either try to sneak somebody's money or sneak from the bank and things of that nature. So I kind of, you know, miss having that with this. But as we all know, regardless of how Revolution sells, there will always be some type of Monopoly Classic version that will be available for sale. I do like the look. I do like the feel. It's still kind of weird, but I think if you give it time, it might really stick. But regardless of what happens, this will not be the only version of Monopoly. Trust me. 
On last week's episode, uh, some of you posted on the forum boards asking me questions as to uh, where some of the uh, you know musical bridges were coming from, some of the music that was used for that segment, some of it. Um, you know, you've heard probably from the Beastie Boys, uh, from various albums. I have plenty of instrumentals being a former DJ. Wasn't a good DJ, but uh, got, <laughs> still got plenty of music laying around. But there was some other music there. Uh, somebody had mentioned, it's like, was this Beatles? Was it Wu-Tang? And actually... It's a combination of both. Um, I want to talk want to talk some music to you. There are two um, bits of music that are available via the internet for free. Um, the music is free. The, the websites are here listed. One is doublecheckyourhead.com, and the other is uh, TC Records, and that's T-T-E-A-S-E-A records.net backslash W-W-U versus Beatles. I'll talk about double check your head first. Um, what someone has done, they've taken check your head and they've combined it. And what I mean by that is they've taken two songs from check your head and just combined them into one song. So say, for instance, on the check your head album, there's a song called Pass the Mic. Well, he's also there's also a song called Gratitude and they've combined both songs together. And so the song is called Pass the Gratitude or say, for instance, um, Let's see, there's What You Want, and there's another song called, let's see here, there's a song called uh, Three, In Threes. So he combined So What You Want and In Threes to form Threes What You Want. And he also took uh, Professor Booty and um, Groove Holmes and made Groove Booty. Really, really clever. Very well put together. This is actually a very nice, uh, very nice album to listen to. You can download it for free from Double checkyourhead.com. This will be in the show notes. Now from TC Records, TC Records has made Wu-Tang versus the Beatles. And the name of the album is called Enter the Magical Mystery Chambers. Enter the Magic Magical Mystery Chambers is a remix album incorporating Wu-Tang acapellas and Beatles songs. Uh, the album is produced by Tom Karuna. The artwork for the, uh, for the cover is uh, provided for Logan Walters, who's reworked several Wu-Tang covers. Um, and like on the back of the of the credits, uh, all the samples are listed on the back cover, and the uh, instrumentals and radio edits are now available to download further down the page. It's really cool. It's uh, <laughs> the music on this and the way they combine the, all this stuff is incredible. It's a joy to listen to. Uh, who would even consider or thinking about putting Wu Tang Clan and the Beatles together? I can honestly say I'm not the biggest Beatles fan in the world. I respect what they've done and I respect their contributions to music itself, but. After listening to this, I've got a little bit more respect for what the Beatles actually accomplished in music. And I just like the fact that somebody was able to merge these two things together. Somewhat kind of similar to years ago what DJ Danger Mouse did with Jay-Z and Metallica. Not Jay-Z and Metallica, but Jay-Z and the Beatles. He combined Jay-Z and the Beatles and made, a, um, and made an album, which was really, really cool. But uh, that was short-lived on the internet, and you'll probably never find that one again. I want to say it was called The Grey Album. But... You really need to take a listen to Wu-Tang versus the Beatles and double check your head. You got to check these out. These are great listens, fantastic listens. In the show notes, I will put the web pages where these, um, where these albums are available for you to listen to and download. You'll like them. The PKD Black Box will return after this message. How many times has a thought crossed your mind that the only people reading comics are 40-year-old white dudes? Well, I'm here to break that wall down. Hello everybody, my name is Alec Barry and I am the host of Teenage Wasteland, a solo cast each and every week showcasing my experiences growing old with comic books, movies, and music. 
You can find my show at teenagewastelandpodcast.blogspot.com or you can go over to the comic forums at thecomicforums.com and find the show thread. You can also find the show in iTunes and you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash alec underscore Barry. I hope that you all join in and listen and I will see you on the boards. Remo Williams. What? You don't know about Remo Williams? I do not know about Remo Williams, no. Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. This film came out in 1985. Mm-hmm. It was the action vehicle for Fred Ward. You probably don't know who Fred Ward is, do you? I very much do not, now. Oh, okay. Dude was in like a couple of the Tremor movies. And, All right, um, okay. He, basically, the guy that didn't look like Michael Gross. That's Fred Ward, okay? <laughs> But before that, in 1985, a movie studio said, we're going to make this dude an action hero. Basically, what happens is is that um, Remo Williams is recruited to be a secret agent when his death is fake. So he can wipe his records uh, off the face of the earth. The film itself was based off of a long-running series of books called The Destroyer. And so what they did is when they made the movie, they called it Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins. Okay. However, there was only one Remo Williams movie. (laughs) Of course. Although there was a pilot episode for a TV series... About mm-hmm. a year, two years later, which I still have on VHS tape somewhere. Huh. It's fucking wow. terrible. But that's not the point. <laughs> as bad as the uh, Justice League? Uh, no, not, nothing gets as bad as that. Okay, good. Nothing. Please continue. Okay. Well, here's the thing. This um, secret society, <laughs> secret agency wants to turn Remo into this super secret agent, but in order to do that, he needs training. Mm-hmm. So they get um, a guy by the name of Joel Gray to play basically an, a- an Asian. They dress him up as an Asian. Okay. And, and he plays a Remo's mentor, a Chien. Chien watches soap operas. He kicks ass. It's kind of racist. It's kind of mm-hmm. sexist. He dodges bullets. He runs on water. You have to. There's a scene where he runs on water, and he's just like this kung fu master. Period. So you get this whole I'm the master, you're the apprentice type deal. Yeah. But once again, props to 406northlane.com for basically running down the outline like this. Cop becomes part of secret agency. Cop becomes badass under tutelage of master. Badass goes against the bad guy and wins. The end. <laughs> and and Joel Gray, I might add, Joel Gray has had one hell of a career since then, man. Because yeah, he is he, he's the character actor. He's been in everything. He played Doc on Buffy the Vampire Slayer for three episodes. If I remember correctly, was like that was like Doctor who would take people apart. He played fake Sloan on Alias, or as he's called on IMDb, another Mr. Sloan. <laughs> he was on an episode of House, and was on Grey's Anatomy for an episode, which I actually just watched like three weeks ago, and yeah, no, dude, dude's had one hell of a career since he played a fake Asian. You need to watch this movie. It also has Captain Janeway in it. Oh, fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you could probably find this in like a, you know, sometimes you go to go to like a dollar a dollar bin somewhere for like DVDs. Mm-hmm. There's some ways he's got a copy of Remo Williams somewhere. It is a guilty pleasure, and see, it was a toss-up between Remo Williams and Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. So I could talk about Bruce Lee any day of the week. But so that guy kind of surpasses guilty pleasure. I'll name another movie, and then I'll then I promise to name some comics if I if I can think of any more uh, guilty pleasures off the top of my head, which I probably can. Have what you seen it? the movie Teeth? No, I have not seen the movie Teeth. Now the movie Teeth is a movie that probably every man fears because if it did exist, we're screwed. It's about a girl who suffers from the condition of vagina dentata. <laughs> is this a horror film? This is a horror film. This is about a girl with a vagina with teeth. If you try to insert inside of her, 
which multiple people try, it basically bites your dick off. That is the worst. <laughs> worst, worst concept for a film I've ever heard. And yet you gotta you gotta watch it at least once, man, because it's it's like cheese tastic. It's so great. <laughs> That's not even like movie theater quality horror. You know, it's that type of horror where it's like, well, this is a little bit advanced for R. So uh, let's go get Mark Singer and uh, yeah, let's film a couple of scenes, call it a day. Yeah. Well, well, okay. But my favorite scene, the scene that ma- adds this to my list, is that she goes to see the gynecologist, you know, to see exactly what's going on here because she wants to make sure that uh, that everything's fine down there because there appear to be teeth in her vagina. The doc, you know, investigates and, you know, puts on the glove and inserts his hand in there and chomp, moves his three fingers, and (laughs) he then goes into a corner, points with the two fingers left on his hand, and screams. And these these are the exact words he says. It's true! Vagina dentata! You've got to be shitting me. I shit you not. That's about as bad as that tarot comic book where the dude screams, your your vagina is haunted. (laughs) Come on, man. Yeah, that's just bad. (laughs) And, and, you know, she tries to live a normal life at at one point. I mean, she's got this guy who's, you know, trusting and everything. And uh, the only thing is that they can't really go farther than heavy petting because, well, vagina dentata. It means no worries. Um... (laughs) Oh, it means a lot of worries. Marvel Comics, Star Wars, the entire run. I've got the entire run via Dark Horse because Marvel, you know, couldn't reprint it and um, Dark Horse had the rights to it. So they reprinted everything. But the only thing it doesn't have is the Return of the Jedi limited series. Because what happened was when the Star Wars series started, you had the one shot with the movie and then they had the issues that continued afterwards. Empire mm-hmm. Strikes Back played on in the book, but when mm-hmm. they got to Return of the Jedi, Marvel was in that phase in the 80s where 104 limited series, 104 limited series. Everybody in Marvel had a limited series in the 80s. That's actually a good time right. for Marvel. So they just said, yeah. pull that out of the Star Wars series, and it'll be a separate uh, mini series. So they didn't put it in the volumes. Okay. I've read all these volumes. When the book first starts, you know, after after they blow up the Death Star, Luke isn't in the book for a while. And there's this green bunny rabbit in the book that's uh, friends with Han Solo and Chewbacca. <laughs> you can read this book, and you can tell when they're like, um, yo, should we ask George if this is cool, or um, should we just go ahead and print this? Oh, man, go ahead and print that shit. All right. <laughs> Which is funny because these days, I mean, yeah, I know, I know that George Lucas lets them do whatever they whatever they want, but but they actually, you know, unless they're killing off a major character, that is. But I mean, these days they try to rein it in a little bit. They try to make it at least, you know, something that fits in the universe, as opposed to doing whatever the hell they want. Yeah, well, there's a template that they have to follow, and, right? And, and you know, and as opposed to you know, opposed to this Marvel series, there really wasn't a template. They just had to work around the movies. They're like, okay, well, how do we get from point A to point B? <laughs> That's what it pretty much was. It's just like, well, we got all this gap to fill until Empire. Well, we have to do something. Something. And when we get closer to Empire, we can build it up. We, when we get closer to Return of the Jedi, we can build this up. And the series gets pretty piss poor after Return of the Jedi because they're like, what the fuck do we do now? <laughs> we don't have Vader. They never use the Emperor in the book. They never, yeah. because, you know, Lucas probably, probably, probably said no because you don't know much about the character. We don't know that much about the character. He's off limits. Like after Return of the Jedi, there's no Darth Vader. There's, uh, you know, no Emperor. So the good guys are still out there, but they're still trying to, you know, there's still some evil in the world. 
some really jacked up villains. There's like this girl that has this like whip, but it's a lightsaber, but it's not a whip. <laughs> and the big deal toward the end of the series when he when Luke when Luke Skywalker who got his ass kicked the first time by this chick, mm-hmm. second time he fights her, you know, he's mastered two lightsabers. I'm like, motherfucker, Darth Maul did that shit decades of eons ago, fool. <laughs> did you look at the tapes? Oh, well, sorry. Well, he didn't exist yet, technically. I, I know, I know. I, I know. I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> I know. No, 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 no. No, never mind. Excuse me. What, 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 why would I say something like that? We all know that George Lucas had all of that written years ago see, in see. a Bible somewhere until he decided to write the scripts. Y'all, yeah. need, y'all need to leave George alone and he's going to come back and remake <laughs> four, five, and six. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's, there's like so there's plenty of good stuff in there, really cool stories, and there's just stuff in there you're just like it's just weird. Like there's this one story they're getting ready for Return of the Jedi. You can tell Marvel's getting ready to prep for Return of the Jedi, so they're trying to build a story beforehand. And they said, I got you know, Marvel said, hey, I got an idea. How about if we make a new Death Star? And they started writing this storyline where the Empire was building a new Death Star. And Lucas came in and said, y'all can't do that because this you know Return of the Jedi. The actual movie's about to come out, you know. And they're like, um, yeah, we actually put the Death Star in Return of the Jedi, fools. So uh, y'all gonna have to take this contraption that y'all made. Y'all call it the Death Star. I'm putting my foot up your ass. Do not do that. So so instead of calling it the Death Star, they called it the Tarkin. You know, in memory of Grand Moff Tarkin, who was you know running the first Death Star. It's a trap. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> we can't repel firepower of that magnitude. Um, there was a lot of bizarre shit in that series, and you gotta you gotta check it out. It's a guilty pleasure for sure. I'm going guilty pleasure that's somewhat recent and you may start laughing or you may start crying one or the other um, some of the worst comic books that I've ever had the pleasure of looking at uh, in recent memory and it sucks because it's from a creator that I that oftentimes writes good stuff but this time not so much I'm talking about Joe Casey's run on Supergirl never read it good for you <laughs> <laughs> okay, because this was the run where at one point, and this is back when uh, Ian Churchill was still doing most of the art chores. I mean, he would do you know occasional not issues. He'd, he'd be in there. During during his run here, uh, Supergirl wound up joining the Outsiders for a few issues. Okay. And she never actually joined the Outsiders in the Outsiders book, okay? So she's officially a member of the Outsiders in her own book, and yet the Outsiders never mention her once in the regular series. That's strike one, in my opinion. Okay. Then escalated, though, because there was one issue in particular where Boomer, you know, Captain Boomerang Jr., if you want to call him that, uh, Owen, gets captured by Batgirl. Because this was back when Batgirl was doing the whole villain thing for a while, which was really stupid in and of itself. But that's another story. You know, he, he, she, he winds up getting captured, and Supergirl breaks in, and uh, she finds Owen and Owen's like oh my god you found me I can't believe you found me and Supergirl's response to that was basically you were missing Um. I didn't know (laughs) (laughs) yeah and this was the time where Supergirl was going through the whole wah, 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 my planet is dead, wah, 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 oh no, and she was seeing visions of her father, like, telling her to, like, kill Superman and stuff, and, you know, that was all explained away a couple of issues later by, you know, a good writer, Sterling Gates, and uh, I shouldn't say that about Joe Casey, he's written good stuff in the past, so I'm not going to say that, that basically Sterling Gates explained it away as kryptonite poisoning, and that's the only way you can explain away this dread, because it was pretty damn bad, man. But you read every last bit of it, didn't you? Um, I 
read it. I read every single last bit of it uh, when I was forced to by by Chris because she can't stop laughing at it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and and my mistake. I, I'm I'm giving Joe Casey a bad name. It was Joe Kelly. Okay, I get those two confused in my head way too often because they both walk in comics. They're both named Joe, and they both worked on the X Men at multiple times. Okay. So that's that. That's why it it it, it gets in, confused in my head. But yeah, Joe Kelly was the writer, and I really hope he never goes near Supergirl again, man, because that was that that was painful. <laughs> Sharks underwater. Uh, somebody decided to um, also try to combine a- elements or the feel of Alien. It has Samuel L. Jackson. Talking from. deep. You talking deep blue sea? Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 You know what? For anybody who has not seen Deep Blue Sea, you are really missing out on something. And I'm tell you why. Because this movie is bullshit from beginning to end. Let's make that clear. All right. Yeah. You will have. A wonderful time watching this movie. There are there's plenty of people in this movie. Like I said before, Samuel Jackson, LL Cool J, Saffron Burroughs, Thomas Jane, Michael Rappaport. What happens is is that there's this facility out in the out way out in the ocean, and what they're doing is is that um, this facility is using sharks, and they're trying to create super smart sharks for some reason. What reason that is, I can't remember. But the whole mm-hmm. point is is that they're making super smart sharks at this facility because Saffron Burroughs comes out to check it out. And Samuel Jackson is uh, is is with her. Okay. They're like, oh, these sharks are really cool. They're smart, and oh, they won't do anything to us. And but we keep them locked up just in case, you know, they might escape and affect society or try to kill people. But you know, they're really good. They're good sharks. They're smart, uber smart. We've made them even smarter, even more powerful. And like they're in this like really big ass room with like you know this big ass glass pane where you can see all the sharks going back and forth or whatever, and. Or you can, and there's also this big like um, pool where the sharks can come, you know, come from the outside of the, um, can, can come from the facility into the inside. And, you know, the sharks just say, fuck it, we're tired. It's time for a revolution up in this bitch. We about to tear this whole place down to the motherfucking <laughs> ground and just start attacking the humans. Man, this is one of the funniest films I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. It is not meant to be a funny movie. It of course. It is not meant to be a funny, funny movie at all. So everybody's trying to escape, you know, because they're trying to escape from this facility that's out in the middle, middle of the ocean, the middle, in the middle of nowhere. And the reason why the sharks are able to uh, break free of uh, mankind, <laughs> mankind's enslavement is because there's this really bad weather storm, really bad, really bad storm that knocks out like part of the facility, which lets the sharks, you know, run free in the facility to just do whatever they want while these people try to escape. LL Cool J plays a chef in the movie. And Samuel Jackson is just overseeing all this because he wants to make sure everything is okay. And he's got Saffron Burroughs with him because she helped in implementing all this stuff. People bite it so easily in this movie, man. I mean, you have deaths aplenty. The best part of the whole movie, and I'm going to spoil it because you have to watch it for this one scene alone. Okay. Because a couple of people die. And, like, everybody's freaking out. They don't know what to do. And this is the perfect opportunity for Samuel L. Jackson to start yelling. (laughs) He starts yelling at everybody and makes this really big speech about how everybody's got to pull together. We're going to get through this. We're going to make it. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to blah, 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 blah. And he's still yelling. And, and like, I remember watching this with my best friend Chris May. Rest in peace. We were both watching this movie at the movie theater. Sam makes this speech, and he's, like, right behind, like, this, like, water entry, this, like, entryway where there's water. So, like, I look at Chris, and Chris looks at me, 
and was like, well, you know, ain't no black people die yet, man. <laughs> LL is still living. Somebody got to die. Sam makes this speech, and right before he's about to finish, the worst CGI shark in the history <laughs> of mankind jumps out of the water straight up, looks like he's standing on his feet, bends over, and eats Samuel L. Jackson. Ooh. Everybody in the crowd went, <gasps> Me and Chris were laughing our asses off. <laughs> Man, that scene alone, because he's screaming the whole time he's getting eaten, too, so that doesn't mm-hmm. help. So you just went from, like, a, a yelling Sam Jackson to a screaming Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> it's worth it for that one scene alone. Ain't you seen my movies? <laughs> <laughs> and it has some of the worst one-liners in movie history. Like, there's a scene where uh, L. Cool J, who has a, pe- who has a pet bird in, okay. in, in the film, is trying to escape the sharks, but he's in this. He's in the um, in the kitchen, and he's trying to escape the sharks. So LL hops into an oven, okay? Because like by now the facility's been flooded on the inside, and so he's hopped into an oven. So the sharks are like swimming around the facility, and they get into the kitchen. They see LL's in the oven. The shark jumps out of the water and turns on the oven. Of course. So then LL has to get out of the oven. <laughs> But then the bird causes a distraction so LL can get away. While the bird causes a distraction, the shark jumps out of the water and eats the bird. To which then LL has found a match because, you know, the oven's been open and gas is coming out. And he lights the match and he says, it's classic one-liner, you ate my bird. <laughs> and then throws the match in and boom, you know, the shark explodes or whatever. I, I, I'm reminded of, uh, of Frisky Dingo. <laughs> where uh where after after uh yeah kill, kill face is in a horrible position because he just accidentally crushed his pet penguin and he turns to the camera and goes my penguin is dead <laughs> and starts kicking ass all over the place i, I may not have explained the plot well enough to, any, to anybody mm-hmm. but all you need to know is mutated sharks underwater facility all hell breaks loose people try to escape <laughs> black people die White people die. No one is spared almost. You know, some people do live. Some people do live. I will let you know that. Okay. So there is a happy ending. Good. You know, but it's, <laughs> you, you need to watch it. I hate to get the last word, but I got one more for you. All right. And, and then we can wrap up. All right. It's a combination, but it's mostly the second one. Underworld and Underworld Evolution. You, have you ever seen any of these movies? I've watched the first Underworld. And what I've learned okay. from the first Underworld is that all vampires do is go. And yeah. um, that's all I know. That That's all I know is that vampires hiss. And that's about it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know from the first movie that, uh, you know, Michael's character, uh, I mean, Scott Speedman's character, Michael, is the main character, right? Right. You know, that's in the first movie, right? Yeah, second movie forgets that. <laughs> Basically, well, it's as simple as this. Len Weissman, the director of Underworld and Underworld Evolution, got married to Kate Beckinsale, you know, co-star of Underworld Evolution. <laughs> So Kate Beckinsale winds up with the bulk of the movie while Scott Speedman is trapped in the background going, Hello, remember me? I used to be relevant. I mean, I mean, he was the—he was supposed to save them both because he was the combination of the vampires and the lichens, you know. Uh, okay. And he was—he was supposed to be, you know, the, the hybrid or whatever that's supposed to save them all, and and yet not so much. There is one of the worst sex scenes you will ever see in a sci-fi movie or a movie period in this movie between Celine Kate Beckinsale's character and Michael Scott Speedman's character, okay? Because the tasteful lighting in this and the angles are so obvious 
that that you're rolling your eyes like you know that Len Weissman was totally filming this just so he could see his own wife's ass. <laughs> and I mean, it's so overblown and so ridiculous. And I mean, there's scenes in this where, like, you know, Scott Speedman, he's like, "No, no, no, I, I, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm, I'm still human at heart." So he goes off to a bar to, to, to get something to eat. And when he eats it, of course, he throws it back up because he can't eat that anymore because he's a half lichen, half vampire, and they don't really eat regular food. Mm-hmm. Even though Celine already told him five times, "Dude, don't eat that." So he winds up, you know, projectile vomiting all over the place. I mean, I'm not going to describe the whole movie to you because it's still worth seeing if you've seen the first one because there are some plot points that are somewhat decent in this, but it's it's definitely not worth buying. It's worth renting as far as that because it, it. I mean, there's some there's some plot points in this where you're just like, wait a minute, what does that have to do with the first one? Because like, oh, we're, we're, we're finding out the truth behind the beginning of the lichens and the and the and the vampires. Why the third one doesn't really need to exist at all, but I'm not going to get into that. And you know, we try to find that out in this, and you know, completely abandoning the plot of the first one yet again with whole scott speedman being supposed to be the savior of all of you guys why do you care about your past so well i knew i knew, I knew the i knew the movie was in trouble the third one when they were like well can't get kate go go get the backup Rhonda mitra who is <laughs> oh, fine yeah. she is fine and she can mm-hmm. hey, she can whoop some ass but uh yeah I, I mean at least she's not playing the you know the same part as as Kate Beckinsale. I mean, at least she's right. playing a different person. Again, Underworld is definitely in there because that sex scene cracks both myself and my friends up so much. We've watched it multiple times, if only just to watch rewatch that sex scene. It's bad. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything that you want to promote while you're here? I, uh, well, uh, probably, I mean, if not by the time this episode is out, then maybe slightly afterwards, but uh, who, who knows? Episode 100 Part 2 will be out, which uh, will include the likes of Mr. Jason Wood and Vince B. from 11 O'Clock. And this is the Comic Timing Podcast you're talking about, Yes, right? this okay. is Comic Timing, uh, speakgeeksbeat.com slash comic timing, uh, episode 100 Part 2. I might be splitting them up into Part 2 and Part 3 because uh, we did go a little bit long but we'll see about that because part three technically or at least the third conversation included Ange and uh, Raf Suhu on it along with Brent and myself that was its own level of insanity because we go off on so many tangents so I might split that up into a third but if not then those two parts will be comic timing episode 100 part two and then we'll get back to regular episodes of Review Corner and stuff like that because uh, I've been putting this off for too long. But uh, speakgeekspeak.com slash comic timing there will be more than 100 episodes of comic timing I promise. Very cool. And that concludes this week's PKD Black Box. The PKD Black Box is available via iTunes, or you can go to pkdmedia.com to get our show, check out our forum, and read comics like Mercury and the Murd, XO one on the Rock Solid Steelbots, Agents of Colt, and Luke Foster's The Gang from the Store, six days a week for free. And if you're on iTunes or our forum board, drop us a line or email us at blackbox at pkdmedia.com. Thanks again for listening. Until then, dream big and hustle hard. <laughs>